Hey everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. My name is Trevor Clifford. I'm here with my friend Mark Gagne. How you feeling today, Mark? Feeling good. I feel like I'm skating on dry ice. How you feeling? That is a whole lot of dry ice. Where'd you get all that dry ice? <laughs> uh, Very just doing circles. Very smooth. I feel like I'm running uphill backwards because I don't exercise ever. And I went for a morning run this morning because I'm trying to not die uh, early. And then I met up with a friend and, it, and then we were like, oh, let's just go for a short hike for four miles. <laughs> so I doubled down and it was my legs. I feel like they're going to fall off. Yeah, um, miles are a lot harder on the incline. Yes, they are. Uh, and I live on top of a giant hill. It is not helping. Um, so here we are, episode 46. And I have a dry ice story, now that you mentioned dry ice. Have you ever bought dry ice? No, I haven't. I know you can get it, if you touch it with your bare skin, it's bad. Yes, don't touch it with your bare skin. I have bought it for film purposes to make like fog, you know? Yeah. Like you make those like, you make like, if you take a piece of dry ice and put it in a glass and pour actual normal water on it instead of dry water, then it makes uh, that like fog. Just like the, the, yeah. the thing that you think of that's like a sci fi movie with like a thing like bubbling. So we needed that for a sketch once and I went to go buy this dry ice and dry ice places are really weird. It's basically like there'll be an ice place. And then they also sell dry ice. So it's like you're basically, yeah, they're basically, you're just like going to this factory and they open up like a big kind of like freezer footlocker thing. And the weirdest thing that was the weirdest thing about this particular time that I bought dry ice was that when I went to go buy it, you know how like twins, people who are twins have the ability to make moments like weird because they're twins. Yeah. And I remember just buying this dry ice in this like ice facility in Long Island. And there was two kids who were like playing with other trunks of dry ice in the parking lot. And they were twins. <laughs> and you just see t it like cements it in your memory. Like no matter what happens with like two twins doing something weird. Yeah, it's Witch like, Mountain. Kind of like The Shining. Yeah, Witch Mountain, The Shining. Uh, dry Ice Mountain. Yeah. Anyway... So yeah, we always close out our show with listing all the places you can find us and all the ways you can get in contact with us. And one right. of those is our email, which is sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. We always creative. ask, you know, send us your short stories, send us your episode ideas, send us criticism, comments, uh, really anything. And, you know, we, we got something, right? We got something. So uh, basically, one of our... I believe, can we call him an avid listener? One yeah. of our avid listeners, uh, Forever Antrim on Twitter, that's Forever A-N-T-R-I-M, all one word. He sent us his short story, which is called Spotology. Um, and we both put, took the time to read it. It wasn't a massive read, which was, I'll say that was a slight relief. What do you think, Mark? Getting getting uh, getting something submitted just from random out of nowhere. Do you want to get something that's five hundred pages, or do you want to get something that's six pages? <laughs> <laughs> six pages is good. I like six that. pages is good. So yeah, we received um, Forever Antrim short story, and I I would say I'm pleasantly surprised. What did you say? What would you say? Yeah, 
I thought it was cool. Um, and yeah. so we sent it with a with a note, you know, this is uh, my short story. It's my effort at metafiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Forever Antrim, he's, he's from Ireland. So he said there might be some Irish references we might not understand. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, written with a colloquial register as well. Yes, it is. So I felt like I can't remember specifically what I thought my time living in the UK helped me in here. Maybe a little bit. I do remember coming across a few passages and I was like, maybe I know the context of this from living in the UK, but I never lived in Ireland. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there is some local register in there. There's some phonetic spelling of the famous Irish brogue accent. Um, but overall, I would say that one of the things I, I, we, I emailed Forever Antrim back, um, you know, as we basically asked permission to kind of talk about his short story. And basically the one thing that I said right off the bat, and I remember texting Mark about this, just being like, I kind of actually do wish it was longer. (laughs) Yeah, it it was a uh, entertaining read. And I think a, a lot of the, you know, it was super steeped in like the feeling of old Ireland mm-hmm. with, you know, a Joyce reference pretty early yeah. on too. Yeah. To, but there was also that some modern, that, like that what was cool about it though, too. Cause like that voice that you, like I haven't engaged with too many Irish authors. Um, I don't even know if what's, what's her name who wrote normal people, Rooney. Rooney. I think she's Irish, but I don't think she counts as deeply Irish. But anyway, uh, like it was cool to kind of engage with this, what felt like an old timey, like Irish world where like you're already thinking about Joyce from the email or whatever. And then there, but there was also like smartphones in there, right? Like yeah, people were yeah. like, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, the, the pot, the kettle is boiling. It's an old Irish farm. And then it's like, and then he was also like looking on his smartphone. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, that, that, that's what I got down in my notes that, you know, super vivid kind of scene built up of like mm-hmm. steeped in the feeling of like old Ireland. But then, you know, able the ability to c- combine that with modern life. You got phones and websites mm-hmm. and, you know, the way right. our attention moves around those sort of things was really well represented. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it felt like it was kind of simultaneously ancient and new like a like a beat up shack in the middle of the woods with wi-fi and flat screens and stuff mm-hmm. like very cool and i also like there was there was a few moments where so let's talk about the story itself because i feel like yeah, we're like yeah. you know like we're saying these ahead. cool things we're jumping ahead so the story itself is you know as much as you can get across in six pages but it's called spudology and it's about the main character's name is patty right and yeah. he kind of seems like he lives from the moment that you're dropped into the story, you're like we said, it's like, oh, this is like an Irish farm. Like, I feel like almost from the American perspective, you have a lot of like bullshit in your head about that, about like, oh, you know, there's no way that this guy could possibly have a computer. There's no way that this guy could possibly. But that's actually a feeling that also happens in the countryside of the UK. Like I was in the countryside like a few times and it's like, oh, this beautiful English house in this amazing English countryside. And then everyone's like playing world of Warcraft, you know, yeah. like, and has <laughs> yeah, like not, a satellite it, TV. It's not, it's not the Shire. Or whatever. Yeah. It's not the Shire, but you want it to be the Shire for a brief yeah, moment. Yeah. So you're dropped into the story with um, Patty and he seems sort of like a curmudgeon old man, right? He's like kind of in his kitchen, like, you know, 
just going yeah, about his day around right? kind of and i think that Maybe there's a some little bit just annoyed at life there's some mention of like being low on food something like that like he's like in the kitchen and you know it's not that yeah, this right story the bat, is spudology he's you yeah. know he's uh wishing he had right a, a potato to eat right in the beginning you know yeah <laughs> he's, he's but a, there's he's something got that, got that hunger pain i feel like we're describing this story more like oh like we we're trying to find out what was happening but that's not true it's like you're sort of just like you have to get comfortable with the way that forever antrim is writing you know but once you yeah. are comfortable you do know what's happening and then later on in the story we also meet um his nephew which i found to be a hilarious character um what did i say isn't it oh spoons Spoonie. Spoon, Spoonie. Spoonie or Spoons Lamas. There's definitely like a Pynchon-esque kind of, a little bit of like Pynchon-y names here. Lamas yeah, that helps, it kind of, that helps it stick in your head. Yeah, reminded me. So there's, you know, these characters and eventually, you know, Patty goes and he kind of limps off to the local bar and meets up with a few, you know, regulars there. And really kind of like that's when you're getting into the story and then it ends which is not terrible for a short story that's how they're supposed to end um but i really enjoyed it but at the same time yeah that my first reaction was like i would read the rest of this yeah left me wanting more you know it's cool yeah. and like uh very descriptive writing and you know very vivid like like we were both talking about briefly before we started recording how we really enjoyed the first paragraph you know the opening paragraph where Mm -hmm. It's not just like the day is starting because it does it opens up in morning, but it's like mm -hmm. the day starts, but doesn't just start. There's like yeah. this, you know, 93 million mile journey of the yeah. sun's right. the sunlight hitting the world and yeah, what it so, does around you and unseen yeah, there, effects of the, the day. The story itself has that very sort of like you know like if if anyone out if any of our listeners out there like me have ever been on psychedelic drugs like i've you know you know maybe you're a little bit considering the totality of the universe and all of time that this is like sort of like that kind of story where it's like yeah sure that there's like a main character patty but uh, i'll just read the first paragraph how does that sound to give like a sense yeah, that sounds good. of of how this story begins cuz i thought i thought that this was really cool just like how it how it dives into one specific character so the first paragraph and i am going to mispronounce a few things in here because i think forever antrim's vocabulary is a little bit more expanded than mine is so <laughs> spinology ja pondered in a reverie of glimmering ennui waiting for nothing to happen then a photon of light was washed in silver nitrate and pegged out to dry, and a flower, colt's foot, Tessilaro Fafara, opened upon a hillside, and the ionosphere yawned as the big ball of burning hot gas hissed again in the candlelit, glittering expanse like always. Its solar flares would burn into the retina of the human condition, forever endearing, creating consciousness, creative consciousness. A needle crinkles along a record groove and bumps into digital sparkling bright blue. Let there be joy and harmony in the cosmos. So Good morning. we haven't even, yeah, that's like a very like, <laughs> it's a very, um, you know, smooth paragraph to bring you towards this character. I also happen to know that the, he's in that second sentence, a uh, photon of light was washed in silver nitrate and pegged out to dry. That is a reference to a photograph. That's like, that's the photochemical process of the original like negative exposure 
Um, so there's like just reference upon reference in there and it's only three or four sentences. So as soon as we received this, I was sort of like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about this yeah. <laughs> on the podcast. Um, took us a while around to get to it, but uh, it was, it was a good read. Yeah. I think, uh, my favorite line I, I wrote down here was, uh, you know, Patty wakes up and, you know, he's at his table just kind of soaking in the day. And uh, it was it was describing him as wearing wearing his father's clothes that have the expectations of his you know dead father within them. Mm. Right, and he's wearing these relics of shoes that were passed down to. You know, squeak like a antique. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, and and just living in in Patty's world for a little bit. And Patty himself is a writer. The character is also writing something, right? He's typing yeah, out cool. various sentences. And I think that's where uh, that's where the, you know, stab at metafiction came in. Because, mm-hmm. like, the main character was, you know, maybe not an author, but attempting to, to write. And he was, you know, he sat down to write and it's not this cohesive thing. He's kind of just coming up with these scatterbrained sentences. I think he talks about right. the... the uh, Nolan Batman trilogy. Like, yep. you know, he talks about Nolan. He starts writing about Chairman Mao. He starts writing yeah. about Hunter S. Thompson. So there's all these kind of references on references on references. And that was the thing that that was another thing that was basically like, yeah, I would read the rest of this. Like if it, if, if it got called back later that Patty started to, I think in one part they even discuss X-Files, the show yeah. X-Files. So it's like, yeah, I mean, just just keep going. I want to hear what he thinks about uh, X-Files. Um, so overall, a positive review. I don't think that we would have brought it onto the podcast if we had received something that we didn't feel like reading. Yeah. So kudos to Forever Antrim and keep writing, I would say. I think people... people who are out there, it's hard to take yourself seriously as a writer, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't know, but, but the, well, I think the perspective of all kind of like creative endeavors is sort of like, you don't, you think everything that you make is horrible, but you don't, you need to realize that what you're putting out there is going to be uniquely you no matter what. It's like you talked about with that guy, Austin Cleon, like the idea of steal, like an artist. If you steal, if you quote unquote feel like you're stealing someone else's work, it's just not even going to work out that way because you're you. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say keep going and uh, nice short story forever. Antrim, keep sending them along. Maybe we can goad him to share it publicly to some of our other Twitter followers. Maybe if you guys want to, you know, call him out and ask for it or something. But it's definitely an awesome read. It's really good. And uh, if anyone else is out there interested in getting a a view from us for your short story or your book or whatever, we're here uh, and we're reading way too much for uh, what is considered normal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe we'll be uh, brave enough to share some of our own attempts. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we've dunked uh, Forever Antrim in the water, we can (laughs) we can be next. (laughs) He had to leap first. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so uh, we have determined through an advanced set of uh, mathematical calculations that this is the 46th episode of Shitty Book Reports, and an even number means that I'm going first, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm really happy to talk about my book this week because I think it's, it's a break for me 
not only in reaching the podcast, but this is one of those classic breaks, you know, when you've been reading, reading, reading serious stuff, going deeper and deeper and deeper into the serious novelists that you love and their influences and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you have to take a break. When was the last break that you took, Mark? Like the last oh, book man. you can remember where you were like, no, I'm taking a vacation from like serious shit. <laughs> oh, I can't remember. It might, it might have been uh, the, you know, Stand By Me mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Stephen Blank King is definitely a good source for that. Yeah. I would say he's maybe one the of body. my number one sources for that. Yeah. So um, my book this week goes completely back to my roots. I decided to go 100%, you know, pop on pop, pop pop on pop. I went 100% back to my roots (laughs) and I said, you know what? I'm ready for a thick book that is epic fantasy. Um, I have dabbled with epic fantasy ever since I first read Lord of the Rings. That's most, you know, that's a lot of people's introduction into the epic fantasy world. You go from Lord of the Rings, you know, maybe you hit some Harry Potter if you were the right age, and then you delve in a little bit into, um, what's that one that starts with the Eye of the World? Uh, Robert Jordan wrote Wheels like Third Time. Yeah, the Wheel of Time. Wheel so the Wheel of Time, and then you get sort of depressed because the Wheel of Time starts to suck after six books, and you're like, why did I read this? Um, but, you know... I kind of, I just wanted something like that. And I've been, I actually have been asking people on Twitter and I think, I think this may have come up as a suggestion on Twitter. Um, Cause I had put out into the world. I said, I want an epic fantasy that's super classy. Then I got the one where that's I am on drove this you to Gene Wolf, right? That's what it drove me to Gene Wolf. But that was so good and so classy that it wasn't a break. It was like <laughs> mind bendingly amazing. And by the way, spoiler alert, I'm still working my way through um that that book actually might be revisited and and the series is definitely going to be revisited so spoiler of the new sun yeah the book of the new sun but that is that was so good that it wasn't even a break it was like a whole new meaning lateral move yeah a lateral move so this is definitely a a call backwards and i will stop teasing the moment and basically (laughs) just say i read a little book called the name of the wind by patrick rothfuss have you ever heard of this no not familiar All right. So The Name of the Wind is controversial in my mind because I feel that I took so much of a break that maybe I took too much of a break (laughs) (laughs) where basically I didn't feel, especially in the first like maybe 50 to 100 pages of this book, I was not. I was maybe maybe possibly 10% regretting my decision that I was like, wow, maybe I dumbed it down too much. And this is just like an epic fantasy that maybe is a bit of a backslide because you you there's all the famous epic fantasies. And then eventually you're mining the backlog and you I don't, I don't like to get caught up in the ones that like aren't super great. But it did turn around eventually. So I'll give you a kind of like a summary of the name of the win. The first, like, there's a first thing, like I'll say, it started out pretty bad, and there's a first few things, Mark, that you're going to know right off the bat where I was like, I don't know if I can continue. First of all, within the first five pages, what color is the main character's hair? (laughs) It's got to be red hair. Yeah, the main character has red hair. Main character has a flare of red hair. Wow, he's so unique and so cool. And I was just like, oh my God, like, am I going down the wrong path? Am I going down the wrong direction? So then I kept reading... 
And another thing that I really don't like in fantasy, and honestly, this is book one of a planned three. The second one is out. The third one is supposed to come out. Also pretty recent. Yeah, well, it it came out in 2007. Then the second one came out in 2011. And people have been waiting ever since then. So that's kind of a long time, Patrick Rothfuss. If you're making us wait a decade, then you're getting into George Martin territory, which is not very healthy. But um, the the other thing that I don't really love um, is what I would kind of in my own words called like Superman syndrome, where basically like the person who is the main character of the book is like an epic badass. And let me read you the very back, the just the back of the, um, the first paragraph on the back that is the summary. And I'll tell you this also almost turned me away because this is how the narrate, the story is narrated by the main character in semi first person kind of narrative. Um, and this is how it begins. So I was turned off from the beginning, but I forged ahead and I promise this review is going to get good eventually. <laughs> so from the back of the book, my name is Quoth. I have stolen princesses back from sleeping Barrow Kings. I have burned down the town of Treban. I have spent the night with Felurian and left with both my sanity and my life. I was expelled from the university at a younger age than most people are allowed in. I tread paths by moonlight that others fear to speak of during the day. I have talked to gods, loved women, and written songs that make the minstrels weep. You may have heard of me. So begins the tale of epic fantasy literature, blah, 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 blah. So when I first read that, I didn't even read that in the back. I read it as like, that's like one of the, you know, things that starts out in the beginning of the book. I was like, this guy has red hair. He's supposed to be a mega badass and I'm done. You know, like I was pretty much done. Um, But I'm glad I kept going because... One weakness that I would say Rothfuss has, but it also may be a strength, is that he switches gears very quickly. So in the normal sense of like an epic fantasy novel, it's like, you know, I'll give you three guesses about about how, where this book starts, Mark. An epic fantasy story. Where does it start? Uh, castle? No. Strike uh, one. Small town. Small village. Yes, but what in that small village? Which building in that small village? <laughs> um, the church. The church, strike two. You only have one more guess. Oh, in the small village? Where does the story, where do all stories begin? <laughs> um, what? Uh, Fine, the, I'll break. I'll the break the general store. The general store. The inn. The inn. The the, inn, the, the inn. tavern. Oh. The tavern. Oh. So it starts out in this tavern, and that was the first thing that I noticed that I thought was like kind of unique about Rothfuss is like any epic fantasy story is like the weary travelers get to the inn or whatever, or you're already oh, inside the inn or anything like that. Um, you're and not from around here. Yeah, right. It started out with like these three farmers like in this thing. And I was like, okay, these are going to be my guys. Like I like want to remember these people's names because there's like these three farmers who are friends and they're talking about this story or whatever. And then eventually the story, like the main character ends up being the guy who's running the inn. 
and it switches gears like very quickly, which like that's not very normal for like a fantasy novel. And then it also like it basically just started to do that at like sort of a rapid pace where it was like, okay, I'm only 50 pages in and I already know that like this innkeeper has like this guy, like this manservant who may or may not be like semi demonic. And then like eventually another guy, like a guy comes in who is like, the, this guy who's going to chronicle the story because he's been trying to find this specific innkeeper who ends up being this epic badass, you know, from the back of the book. So it was switching gears very quickly. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm into it, but I'll keep going. And then eventually what I really started to like about it was that even though apparently quoth the main character becomes this like epic, awesome dude, it starts out where it's like, Another classic kind of like fantasy trope, but and minor spoilers here for anyone who hasn't read a hundred pages into the name of the wind. But um, you know, then it starts out with being like, and then everyone in his like family and his troop just like gets killed and he's like alone and he and like whatever. That's also sort of like a fantasy trope, but what wasn't a fantasy trope where he takes it into a different direction is like, okay, then he goes into the city and he's like, How is he gonna fend for himself? And it doesn't go well. Like he's not, he doesn't fend for his, like the main character quote. It's not like, oh, I got to the city and then, you know, I banded together with some other rascal kids and we became awesome or whatever. It's like, no, like a guard like beat the shit out of me because I didn't know how to pickpocket yet and I almost died. <laughs> he doesn't mention that. He doesn't mention that yeah. on the back. Right, <laughs> he exactly. He sound very humble. So then it started to become like, okay, like maybe like there's more to this like story. And then eventually there was like some stuff in there that I just had never seen in fantasy before. Like that the time that he spends in like this, he becomes basically like a kid who's like a thief and like, you know, a cut person, everything like that. And the reason like there's a lot of backstory that I'm not explaining, but like there's some stuff that's like well, why don't you just go do this? Or why don't you just go do this? And like the real explanation from the book itself is that he was like too damaged by like seeing his parents die that he was just like, I wasn't functioning like on the right level. Like I was in like this massive amount of grief that I didn't know what to do for like three years while I was like destitute in this city. And that was at the point where I was like, okay, this is like getting like a little bit better. And the other thing that was like a factor here was that I had completely forgotten that Rothfuss, as I started reading the book and sort of like trying to get into it, trying to get into the characters, I had forgot completely that one of the reasons why, or one of the reviews that I had seen when I picked up this book is that it actually does become sort of like another classic trope of epic fantasy at this point is that he starts to attend like a university that's like for magic. So what does that make you think of? Some Harry Potter. You're right. And, so, and he's an orphan. So Right. And he's an orphan and, you know, whatever. So I guess like in some ways people had like compared this to Harry Potter and I was definitely not ready for that either because I was like, well, that's going to be stupid. Um, but the way that he wrote it and he switched gears so quickly and so often was that I basically forgot about that. And by the point that he does get into the university and starts like studying with these other like students and like the teachers and stuff, I was like, oh, this like book feels very different because it's not like he didn't get like a letter down his chimney from an owl. You know what I mean? It <laughs> yeah. wasn't like, you're a wizard, Harry. It was like, my life is fucking awful. And the only way that I'm going to like make it better is by going to this university. <laughs> Wait, is and, he a real, is he a real orphan or a late onset orphan? 
You, you, he, he's a late onset orphan. Oh, okay. His parents die like when he's telling the story of the book. Is that still an orphan? That gets into curb. curb yeah, I guess that gets in, Yeah, that's the Funkhauser <laughs> territory. I don't know if he is a true orphan. He's not a true orphan. I don't think you're a true orphan unless you're abandoned at birth. So I guess he's a semi-orphan. His hey, parents died when he was like 12. Maternal and paternal widower. Yes, maternal and paternal widower. Um, but yeah, so Name of the Wind, I went in thinking that it wasn't super awesome and I finished the, you know, I went in and I, and I go along saying that I will read the second book and, you know, I don't know how, like how long, especially, you know, if, if he's going to wait 10 years in between re- writing each book, maybe I should take 10 years in between reading each book. <laughs> so but, I have some, I have some questions because that, you know, I feel like I could ask for any epic fantasy. Yes. Uh, is there a map in the beginning? Yes. Very okay. There, that's can you give me, it, but it's not super important to this book, which is a little bit disappointing. Like the Hobbit couple, map is. Give me a couple examples of like the names. type of names that this guy comes up with. Okay, like well, first for of all, towns the, or for like the first name's character is Quoth. First name's character is Quoth. Actually, another thing the that's Raven. kind of cool, like another thing that's kind of cool, like fantasy nerd wise for this book, is that the system of magic is actually kind of cool like sometimes epic fantasies and like fantasies in general can kind of rely on that like one of the cool things about the wheel of time is sort of like the lore behind how the world works and the magic in this universe is actually really cool it's like it's the it's like this idea that in this universe you can bind two things together as long as they are like similar enough so like one example would be like his one of his like early teachers from like childhood who starts teaching him magic before his whole life turns to shit is like he's like how would you take a bird out of the sky and the way that he answers is like well I would like take this oil that I have here in my kitchen and I would like bind it to the oil that's like in the feathers of the bird so that like the feathers like aren't like lubricated properly and the bird would like fall out of the sky so it's like weird shit like that where it's like you can bind like the weight of things like the weight of a boulder you can like bind it to like somebody's like shirt <laughs> you know it's like a very like logical kind of like thing and there are like levels of like binding a boulder to someone's shirt since those two objects aren't very similar it wouldn't work super well so like the amount of like power that you have in your magic is like directly related to like how well you can make things work it's interesting. It's, cool. it, it's kind yeah. of like a cool like system. It's not like just like eh, fireball. Um, so here are some names from the map. There yeah, is some, some this, that city that he gets treated like shit in is called Tarbean. T-A-R-B-E-A-N. The city, okay. uh, the little ocean next to Tarbean is called the Reft. The and nice. the main the main area is called the Commonwealth, but up to the north is called Keld. C-E-A-L-D. You live in the Commonwealth. Uh, the university is very close to the city of Imre. Oh. <laughs> and there's another city on the peninsula that looks like it's Italy or whatever called Halafel. Nice. Now, um, another, another question. Is there any, uh, any art besides the front cover? There is not. Oh, what's there the cover no look art. like? 
The cover is a little lackluster. This is a, a DAW DAW fantasy book. So I get, and this is actually, I should, this is worth mentioning too. This is Patrick Rothfuss's first novel, The Name of the Wind, is his first okay. book. Um, and he really only writes in that universe. He's a pretty modern novel. He's got a Twitter handle. I tweet at him later. Uh, he also like has a Twitch channel where he plays computer games. Like, nice. you know, stop doing that and start writing the third book, you Apple. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he won the Quill Award for this being his first novel. Another big sell for this is that Ursula Le Guin is a big fan of his. Um, cool. So she's, he's, he's got some pull quotes from Ursula Le Guin on the back here and also from Orson Scott Card, Ender's Game. The main book jacket is like not that cool. It's just like a guy like in a black cloak standing next to a tree. You know, nothing nothing too yeah. fancy. I was picturing like, you know, Frank Frazetta style. Like Oh yeah, if only. This epic. isn't a Con this isn't a Conan novel. Yeah. Yeah. But what about, name of the wind. Uh, what about the uh chances that it becomes a prestige? TV show. TV series. They're going to have to finish The Wheel of Time. They're going to have to remake Harry Potter into a TV show. And Amazon is doing Lord of the Rings again, I think, which is like pathetic. So Name in the Wind, I think, is probably optioned for movie rights. I'm sure Rothfuss makes some sort of money from that, but it's I think it's pretty low on the totem pole towards, towards actually hitting film. Okay. Um, but you never know. It's one of those things where once you're past those few introductory series, it's like, what should I read? And people are like, Name of the Wind is totally sick. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, exact, pretty much exactly what I wanted, even though I had some stumbles in the beginning. I bought, I recently bought a new reading light, you know, one of those ones that you can clip to the back of the book. So yeah, yeah. this was just like, this is like so perfect for that. Like, I just feel like a kid. <laughs> I just feel like a kid again, you know, like it's dark. I have the reading light that's only illuminating my book. And it's like, I'm going to read about Quoth and how his life <laughs> is horrible. And he's going to the university and he's, oh my God, everyone's an asshole and whatever. So it's a, uh, it's pretty good read. Tarbine. Tarbine. And uh, I'm going to give a really quick one-star review. A lot of people, I think, are justified in their one-star reviews. They seem to give up very early, like I almost did. So they're basically like, this is some shit that's like way overrated. Such bullshit. But uh, a short and sweet one-star review from Goodreads. User Elsie Fine says, I really, really wish I could give this negative stars. <laughs> <laughs> you so, can't. Sorry. There you are. Name of the win. You can only give one star. All right, nice. Sounds good. I could use a break. Dude, this was a break beyond break. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's the other thing that's good about when I didn't exactly love, like, everything about the book. I was like, but I don't care. Like, I don't have to, like, jump down its throat. It's like an epic yeah. fantasy book that I just want to read and have literally no resistance in reading it. Like, it is a page turner because I'm just, like, reading, like, hundreds of pages by being like, okay, cool. Nice. All right. I'm up. You're up. So, I've uh, the last couple of weeks I've I've been reading, I've been working on this uh, pretty big novel, but it's going slow. So you know, this week I had to reach back into the vault for one. Mm. But I'm pretty confident that you haven't read this. I'm also pretty confident that I mentioned it to you maybe three four years ago. Okay. So, as an aside, you know, with the media that I consume. You know, sometimes I like to group things in my head. Like, you know, I can't think of one without the other sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes that work is done for you, like a, like a book 
to movie adaptation, you know, they occupy the same space. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, it's across mediums. Like, I don't know, for example, maybe like Twin Peaks and Stephen King, you know, that small right. town kind of kind of feeling. That those are kind of tied together sometimes like uh yeah, I know. Stuff like that. There's some of our examples I couldn't really remember, but you know, they only pop up when I when I have one of the things in front of me. <laughs> but with the book that I brought today, the has a very strong tie to something, uh, which is the video game Cuphead. Okay, Cuphead. Um, yeah. Yes. You'll see classic why. animation game. Yeah, for those who don't know, Cuphead, uh, it's a video game that came out three years ago, right around the time I read this book. And, you know, what made it unique is that it was designed to look like a 19, late 1920s, you know, 1930s cartoon. You know, think like Mickey Mouse and Steamboat Willie or, you know, that sort of, original, that sort of thing. Original, original, original anime, Betty yeah. Boop and that kind of stuff. Where, where like the characters never stand still, you know, they're always mm-hmm. kind of like dancing yeah. or like shifting left and right a little bit, that yeah. sort of thing, you know, early Disney animation, stuff like that. So, um, fantastic video game. You know, it's right. like uh, super colorful, actually very it's known hard for being, yeah, known for being incredibly challenging. Uh, I, I've beaten the game by the way. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> when I beat the game, I was playing it on Xbox or whatever. And Xbox tells you like how many people have accomplished what you did or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I beat the game, it was like, congratulations. Only like 5% of the people who have played this have beaten it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I think I've seen, I, there's YouTube videos online of people being like, like forcing the developers to play the game being like, can you beat this game? Like, I don't think yeah. <laughs> It was all you know. You're do, you're doing the same, playing the same level like uh, two hundred times in a row or whatever, just to beat Lovely. it. But so very vintage feeling to this game, and that's what ties it to this book. Um, it's got the vintage aesthetic with uh, you know a bunch of jazz and and big band music like uh, mm-hmm. like some right here. You know, it's this sort of thing. Yeah. it's great did you read the great Um, gatsby (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah and and, you know there's another there's another connection to this book in that so so the plot of cuphead it's about it's about the main character uh who's exactly what you think it's a cartoon guy with a literal cup for a head is that yeah um and you know he gets caught up in this sort of uh faustian deal with the devil He's got to fight his way out of it, mm-hmm. or else the devil's gonna take his soul. Um, and that you know brings me to my book, which is 2001's "Carter Beats the Devil" by nice. Glenn David Gold. Carter and beats this the devil. was a huge page turner, very entertaining, um, 662 pages, but you know it zoomed by. Nice. And so what it is, it's it's like a fake biography sort of mystery thriller mixed with historical fiction. Uh, And, you know, it's centered around a real person, Charles Joseph Carter, who was a stage musician, you know, in the same vein as like uh, Harry Houdini, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. So he's a real person, but this is a fictional story. Yeah, yeah. Very stylized story based around some parts of his life, or at least his presence as like a celebrity. 
Hmm. So uh, in the in the tradition of shitty book reports, I'm going to steal the plot summary from Wikipedia because why not? Absolutely. The 1920s was the golden age for stage magic, and Charles Carter is an American stage ma- magician at the height of his fame and powers. At the climax of his latest touring stage show, Carter invites United States President Warren G. Harding on stage to take part in his act. In front of an amazed audience, Carter proceeds to chop the president into pieces, cut off his head, and feed him to a lion before restoring him to health. The show is a great success, but two hours later, the president is dead, and Carter <laughs> finds himself the center of some very unwelcome attention indeed. So you got that plot summary, and then I saw someone else on Goodreads give a, a very succinct plot summary <laughs> in their review that I, I really loved. So I was going to um, grab that one as well so you could compare the two. It's about a master magician battling a shadowy conglomerate of the government, corporations, and secret societies to find the truth of President Harding's death with the help of his pet lion. Hmm. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so it's got that same sort of like, you know, not really tongue-in-cheek, but just like funny kind of scenario, like same kind of thing as like Cuphead, where it is like, uh, yeah. you know, it's not taking itself too seriously, but it's, you know a lot of fucking work went into it. Like Cuphead is all hand-drawn. Even if you don't like video games, I I recommend just YouTubing like a clip of it and just to see. Did you ever see the, did you see the clip that um, like kind of right around when it was released, somebody like routed their Cuphead into an old like 1920s TV? Really? (laughs) Yeah. Someone took like an old TV that still worked from like the thirties, like a black and white TV and they ran it through and it looks amazing. Nice. So I want to, uh, I want to jump right into a section here that, that leads up to it's, um, it's the very show in question where he, um, gets involved with the, the president there has him take part in the show. Mm -hmm. So it's very early on in the, in the novel and, um, it's, the section that leads up to the secret third act, which involves the president, which is just to give you a feel for the style. So this is, uh, I think this is, this is page eight. So it's, it's very, very early. Cool. The act began on a barren stage. Carter entered and announced that as he has proven himself to be the greatest sorcerer the world has ever known, there was no reason to continue his performance, and he was prepared to send the crowd home unless a greater wizard than he should appear. Then there was a flash of lightning, a plume of dark smoke, and the infernal reek of pure brimstone, rotten eggs and gunpowder. The devil himself had arrived on stage. The devil, in black tights, red cape, a close-fitting mask, and a cowl, capped with two sharp horns, issued a challenge to Carter. Each of them would perform illusions, and only the greater sorcerer would leave the stage alive. As soon as Carter agreed, the devil produced a newspaper and pulled a rabbit from it. Carter responded by hurling into a floating water basin four eggs, which the moment they hit the water became ducklings. The devil caused a woman to levitate. Carter made her disappear. The devil caused her to reappear as an old hag. With a great magnesium flash, Carter had her consumed by flames. Then the pair began doing tricks independently of each other. At opposite ends of the stage, while the devil ushered forth a floating tambourine, a trumpet, and a violin, which played a disembodied but credible rendition of Night on Ball Mountain, Carter cast a rod and reel into the audience, catching a live bass from midair. The devil did him one better, sawing a woman in half and separating her without the casket in place. Carter made hand shadows of animal on the walls, animals on the wall that came to life and galloped across the stage. The devil drew a pistol, loaded it, and fired at Carter, who deflected the bullet with a silver tea tray. 
Carter drew his own pistol and fired at the devil who caught the projectile in his teeth. So yeah, <laughs> it seems like Carter, it, Carter like proved early on that he was matching the devil. <laughs> <laughs> that did not need to keep going. Uh, it's kind of like the devil went down to Georgia sort of mm-hmm. thing, but um, yeah, that's so that's very early on. You know, this that's like that's like the you know it's kind of the devil that you know that was like his uh, you know his co-performer or whatever. But then, you know, he gets involved in this giant conspiracy with the president and there are more devils after him at that point. So kind of uh, some double meanings there. So now, you know, the cool thing about this novel to me is that it's, you know, it's about magic, obviously, but there's no there's no real magic in it. It's, uh, you know, to look behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're kind of seeing the tricks that they used to employ back in the day for those old, old magic tricks and. So it's a far throw from things like, you know, it's not like an adult Harry Potter. Like, it's not about Mm -hmm. magic, really. It's about stage magicians and their craft tricking the audience, you know, the illusions that they had. Or, you know, they talk about, like, these expensive rigs and these complicated machines and, and, you know, stuff that they invent for their their act that they kind of bring with them. It's like a touring kind of thing. Right like uh you know some kind of trick stage prop to make an elephant disappear mm-hmm. and you know how they would kind of lease their tricks or their lend their gear for a price to other magicians and stuff like that but you know even though you see behind the curtains it's it's fun to read about it from the view of the crowd and you know the way that you know Glenn David Gold writes it's it stays it stays entertaining even though it's not you know you're in on it Mm-hmm. So it's very fun, but um, like for as far as the historical fiction part of it, there's a lot of pl- paths that the plot the plot takes, kind of like um, dealing with a rival magician, and but the historical historical fiction part is a lot kind of like uh, almost like a Forrest Gump sort of thing, where he's like you know right place at the right time, or he's mm-hmm. the main character is present for these you know semi important parts of history or you know, important. Right. Yeah. Just like kind of lucky. He crosses, he crosses paths with Houdini crosses paths <laughs> with, uh, that's cool. The founder of BMW, like Max Frizz, uh, Marx brothers and the, uh, uh, Philo Farnsworth, the inventor of television. Nice. And, you know, he becomes a important character in this book. The vibes of this book, not to derail the conversation from this particular novel, but it is kind of reminding me of, have you ever heard of a novel called The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? Yeah, you to, you to, you've told me about that, uh, Michael Michael Chabon. Yeah, it's it kind of seems like it has kind of similar vibes. Yeah. So that that that's like uh, 1940s, right? What is that? Yeah, I remember there's a plot point in the novel when they see Citizen Kane for the first time. When did Citizen Kane come out? I'm supposed <laughs> to know that. They see Citizen Kane, and that came out in 1941. So, yeah. It's like kind of like a story of them, like, of America gearing up for World War II and stuff like that. But it, it kind of has that, like, cross-history, fictional history, but also part of it is real and uh, some wacky stuff but yeah 
Yeah, and I like that sort of thing. Like, and you know this this book it's it's about it's about a real guy, but you know so much of it it has to be fake. It's you know tons of conversations and stuff that you, you can't trace it back to anything. It's just mm-hmm. you take like the structure of this guy and you know throw him into the story. It's cool. It's fictional. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember in Gravity's Rainbow when like like Mickey Rooney shows up for like two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that, was, that is like really funny. Yeah. 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 That's like the scene in Gravity's rainbow when they're like driving that tank into the pool. Right. Or someone's driving something into a pool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I think Slothrop is like hiding underneath a balcony or something. And Mickey Rooney just like shows up on the top and he's, yeah. he's like, he's like above him, but they don't, they never interact. He's just kind of there. <laughs> So the stuff like that is cool, but this is a little bit more like a little bit more involved. He's he's having conversations with these people. He meets Houdini and Houdini like has this aura around him and he kind of gets Houdini's um stamp of approval on his act, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's cool. And then but the uh the conspiracy in this book like definitely builds and it, it does have sort of like a Gravity's Rainbow kind of feeling of a little paranoia, bit of anxiety and yeah, a little bit of paranoia and stuff like that, but it's very fun, um, and yeah, like I said, six hundred and six hundred and fifty plus pages, and it it uh, zooms by. It's it's a good good page turner. I enjoyed it. Um, a little bit more about the author, Glenn David Gold. So this book came out in two thousand one. Uh, I guess he has another novel. His only other novel came out in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. called Sunnyside, and he also released a memoir couple of years ago uh according according to his wikipedia he's considered an authority on comic books and graphic novels interesting and i think it made me think about i would i would like to be considered an authority on something at some point in my life that'd be cool <laughs> on your gravestone it just says yeah. an authority <laughs> i'm an authority yeah have you ever what seen douglas have you ever seen douglas adams's gravestone no what does it say it just says Douglas Adams author. That's it. It's awesome. <laughs> no dates. No dates. No dates. Okay. What do you think it takes to be an authority? Uh, I think usually people say you're an authority on something if you are, if people seek you out for that like particular subject. So it's like, you know, you're sitting in your house, your phone rings, and it's like, tell me about you know, lead-tipped pencils. And you're like, yes, I know everything about lead-tipped pencils. What do you want to know? I would consider myself a subject matter expert as far as the stuff I do for my career. And, you know, I would say the same thing for you. Yeah, um, yeah. You can be. You would be an authority on uh, I guess an authority. electricity. Yeah. <laughs> you would be my authority. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because you can't, that uh, definitely you can't self- prescribe yourself or self you can't label yourself as an authority that is a, definitely is a given it's given it's earned mm-hmm. right <laughs> anyways i'm not an authority on comic books i don't no. think I, I don't know if i could be it's very difficult i think to be a, an authority on comic books nowadays oh yeah you gotta be you would have had to start already <laughs> you have to start already and i also feel if anything, comic books are very one of like the things where it's 
at this point in the game, like it's very location based. Like if you weren't within easy access of one of the very rare dwindling comic book stores, then you would just have like no hope unless your iPad just had like a lot of memory on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there are like apps now where you can get like every, you know, whatever, every comic book coming out, but I don't know about them. All right. Yeah. But so, Heart of Breeds the Devil, 2001, Glenn David Gold. Very fun. It's got a cool cover. It's got a vintage. Uh, there is a lot of art in here and it's taken directly kind of from the actual guys, you know. Oh, that's cool his uh his stage shows and like the uh, advertisements for them and stuff so definitely check that check that out and you nice. know it, that that's what also makes me pair it with cuphead it's like nice. the uh, yeah, that, non-animated version of that yeah yeah so i'll be um yeah play the game read the book they're both good and now for a one-star review which were pretty rare surprisingly rare for this uh hmm. less than one percent of all reviews were good sign we're uh one star not even internet trolls yeah can touch this thing well we got one here actually here's one from user c which i'm going to paraphrase an abomination the absurdities <laughs> the absurdities of this book are pretty close to unmatched in anything else i've ever read the dialogue is painful, right? Wait for this one. I went to the same school as Gold did, and you can see why he's so awful. The place oh was god. hell. Oh my god, that took a very personal turn. I went to the same school, and it sucked. An abomination. <laughs> wow, I feel like this guy's got some like English class lingering jealousies, or like you know something something happened where the author, you know ran a seven minute mile and his was like a 701 or something <laughs> <laughs> exactly so uh yeah thanks for listening everybody this has been another episode of shitty book reports like i said in the beginning we say this all the time you can find us every sunday on spotify soundcloud stitcher itunes instagram twitter at sbr the podcast and you can email us sbr the podcast at gmail.com Give us your comments or your suggestions, corrections. Give us your short stories to review, to read. Even if you just want feedback, we don't have to talk about them on the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely true. We would read something and then it's your choice whether we, you want us to discuss it. Yeah, whatever you're feeling. See ya. All right, see you next time. Yeah.